1: Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive?
0: What's the thing you think about is your game where you just go, man, this is a different game. I need to get better in
2: this area. Like, what's your one kind of focus just as far as physical on-the-field play? Um, To be honest with you, I think my game is going to flourish in the NFL just because I I watch a lot of NFL film, and I see the differences in the game, just the way those quarterbacks hold onto that
0: ball. That's what I mean. It's it's better for pass rush. 100%. So I look at that. I'm licking my chops because you go to college, you get so many RPOs, balls out like that, and you get to the quarterback, but you hit him and no sack, no nothing. Right.
2: So I think um, when I get to the NFL, I'm going to light it up, and yeah. uh, I'm going to do what I do, and uh, that's, uh, you know, rushing the passer. Dude, you it, are my man. You
0: hear this guy? I'm going to light it up. I'm ready. It's made for me. You're the man. <laughs> Aiden Hutchinson is
2: the man. <laughs> he is the man. Great montage a couple of weeks ago with all the different times. That's great Kristen you got him to said. say that, by the way. Oh, Chris did it. Chris, Chris, Chris. Chris, I don't know if Chris uh, smokes weed with them before the interview or they get drunk. I don't know what it is, but they just uh, they blurt things out. And I'm kidding about I'm kidding about uh, the alcohol, not about the weed. Um, But but Chris said to everyone, you're the man, you're the man. And EJ had a great montage of of Aiden Hutchinson is the man, Justin Jefferson is the man, everybody we had on that week is the man, but Hutchinson is the man with 14 sacks, and he said he's going to light it up, um, wh- and, and you know, look, we, we don't know who the first pick is going to be, you know, in, in a lot of years, we know, we know who the first pick is going to be, and this yeah. adds to the intrigue when it's time for the Jaguars to announce their intentions, and of course, the league will encourage them to keep their mouths shut as long as possible, to to maximize the TV audience for the Las Vegas draft. Uh, We'll find out who the Jaguars are going to take, but Hutchinson's clearly in the mix, Peter.
0: You know, I think what's so interesting about the top of this draft is that this will be the first time since 2013 that there hasn't been a highly picked quarterback. There's been a quarterback picked every other year in the top three in this century. Other than 2013, that was the E.J. Manuel, uh, Geno Smith, uh, Mike Glennon year. Those were the only three quarterbacks picked in the top 75. And this year, I doubt there's going to be a quarterback picked in the top 10. Unless somebody falls in love with Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis, it looks like that's not going to be a position of great need. So now you turn to... The two positions that appear to be formidable at the top of the draft. Daniel Jeremiah told me over the weekend that six of his top 18 players, <coughs> excuse me, including Aiden Hutchinson, are edge players. And also, there's three of the top 10 picks in most of these mocks are tackles. And the Jaguars could use an upgrade at left tackle. And they could use a bookend for Josh Allen as another pass rusher. So to me, I kind of look at this as being a, a year where some team at the top is going to fall ass backwards into a really good player. Because I think that Jacksonville is going to say, what do we need the most up here? And they're going to be justified in taking a tackle if they really feel like they want to protect their quarterback. And so Detroit, who knows? If Jacksonville takes one of the tackles, Detroit could stumble into Aiden Hutchinson. And then there's the matter one other guy, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. A lot of people wonder, okay, Aiden Hutchinson, higher upside, Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, And I think most people would say that Thibodeau has the higher upside, but you know, it's like what, uh, what a lot of people have said, you know, including Daniel Jeremiah, that he didn't see him play hard on every snap. Whereas Aiden Hutchinson, you know, you're getting, uh, you know, a, a, a hard trier on every snap 30 and a half tackles behind the line of scrimmage last year, a lot of production for Aiden Hutchinson, um, I think he goes into Indianapolis starting today, the Combine starting today. Aiden Hutchinson goes in as the favorite to be the top pick.
2: And look, here's the reality. We've seen it in the last two Super Bowls, what a crippling pass rush can do to deliver a championship, having a guy like an Aaron Donald, having what the Buccaneers had last year when they were able to pursue and harass and ultimately derail Patrick Mahomes. We've seen it several times on the biggest stages. It's affecting and then protecting the quarterback. Those are the keys. So I'm not surprised that if it isn't a draft laden with great quarterbacks, the the focus will be on the guys who can get to the quarterback and the guys who can keep those guys from getting to the quarterback. I will say this, though, about the quarterback situation. We're we're still early in the process in two different ways. One, we don't know where the veterans are going to end up. There may be a team that ends up without an answer at quarterback post-free agency. And then all of a sudden, they're much more interested in a Kenny Pickett than they would have been. Whether it's right. to draft him in a top 10 slot that they already have, like the Panthers, or, or to move up to try to get him. So I think we need to keep that in mind. We just assume that the teams that have quarterback needs are going to be able to address them in the next few weeks in free agency or via trades. There may be some cheese standing alone when the draft rolls around that creates an urgency. And the reality is, you roll the dice on a franchise guy. You do what you have to do. If it doesn't work out, you're going to be in position to draft another one in a year or two. So I still think that when it's time to put names on cards, teams that that don't feel perfect about their quarterback situation will at least be thinking more carefully about turning attention to the most important position on the field by far. They very well could, Mike. And I,
0: I just think that, you know, as one general manager told me last week when I was – asking him to evaluate he needs a, a quarterback he said you know you want to look over you want to look under every rock but you also don't want to take a guy that you hope will be your next quarterback you want to take the guy who you think is going to be your next quarterback and so i think that's a lot of what this is about mike i think this combine And, you know, whoever throws there, and then when guys throw at their pro days, when you analyze their tape, I think every coach and every general manager who looks at these quarterbacks, they're going to be looking at them and asking themselves this question. Is this a guy I can see leading my team for the next 10 years? Or let's say in the case of Malik Willis, if you determine that, you know, he needs a year or two to watch and to learn and all that, if, if that's the case, you know, if you are really sold on somebody, then you have to take them. I don't care if you pick sixth or eighth or, or tenth, you got to take them. But I just think now that, you know, I think that is one angle. And I think another angle of this, of this combine process, I think you're going to start to see teams, and, and I'm looking right at Joe Shane the general manager of the New York Giants. I think you're going to start to see teams start to sort of uh, start the process to let everybody know, hey, you want the fifth or seventh pick in the draft? Make me an offer. Because A, this is not a great year to have two picks in the top 10. And of course, New York, New York. It's the first time in history where both teams have two picks in the top 10, but not only that, but if you're the New York Giants and you really think that Daniel Jones has a legitimate chance to be your quarterback, but you're not positive, 2023 is the year you want two ones, not 2022.
2: And, you know, you make a great point. We're going to hear time and again that the teams in the top 10 are getting phone calls about possibly trading down. They're all going to want to trade down, but you have to find somebody who wants to trade up. And that will be driven by who falls in love with whom. And, and that's the other angle here, too. A lot of the draft rankings we're seeing now are influenced by things that the people in the media who cover this exclusively have heard from scouts over the course of college football season and into right now. But the reality is once the NFL season ends, that's when the coaches begin to roll their sleeves up and start chiming in. They start watching tape. They start tinkering with the board. Their preferences become known. And I think in Indy is where it all starts to get thrown together, and we'll begin to hear that so-and-so is rising up the boards. The reason they're rising up the boards is the coaches are influencing the boards, and then that information makes its way to the folks in the media who make their boards that are ideally going to reflect what the league thinks of the players. Hey, look, the best thing that I remember, I forget
0: what year it was, the last year that Parcells ran the Dolphins personnel side, maybe it was 08, I forget, maybe 09. But uh, they had just had the experiment where they drafted Pat White, the previous year, the West Virginia quarterback they drafted him as you know a classic wildcat option quarterback and the next year, Parcells walked in and said, "You know what we're doing this year We are making our board, and we are finishing our board before we go to the combine and the only way we're going to change our board is we are going to change it if there's an injury or there's some injury concern with a player, or if something happened off the field with that player that makes us concerned. So that's the all, that's the only way we're changing it. And the reason that it changed is because of Pat White. They moved Pat White way up on their board because they thought Wildcat was the way of the future. And of course it wasn't. And so in my opinion, the smartest teams are the ones who arrive in Indianapolis today and yesterday and, and or tomorrow. They arrive in Indianapolis, and they say, okay, here's our board. Force us to change it by something major. Those are the smart teams.
2: Yeah, uh, and look, I agree with you completely. We need to take a break, but one last point to make. You're, it's going to look different this year when you watch the combine workouts because for the first time, the fans are going to be in the lower bowl at Lucas Oil Stadium. There's going to be 10,000 of them. They're going to be playing music. They're going to be hyping the crowd up. It's going to be more of a spectator event than it's ever been. And this is a topic for a different day. But, Peter, at some point, at some point, they have to drop the job interview charade here and recognize this is for profit entertainment provided by the NFL, and the participants deserve something more than what they get. And currently what they get is multiple days of being poked and prodded and they have to get up early and they have to go perform under stress. There's even more stress now because there are going to be people there and the NFL is going to make a bigger deal about it. At some point, they got to do the right thing and give the kids something for participating in this thing from which the NFL profits.
0: Mike, you know, you're absolutely a 1,000% right. After colleges embrace the NIL craze, in 2021, after it became in vogue to pay players uh, instead of just making them take a vow of poverty to be the stars, to be the big men on campus. Uh, It only makes sense that the NFL does this. And Mike, it's really interesting now that the NFL, uh, over the next three years, is going to have bidding for where the combine is going to be. You know, favorites thought to be Indianapolis, Dallas, uh, and Los Angeles. And it's only fair, quite honestly, for uh, the players to get a piece of the pie as the combine becomes more lucrative and the NFL begins to cash in on it. And NFL Network puts it in prime time and does 50 hours of programming on it. it it's, it's only sensible and only fair.
2: And one of the things I've got on my list to look into, these players aren't yet in the union. And we saw what collective action was able to do for them a week ago when there was this loose bubble. The NFL was clumsily setting up and the agents got together and the players said, we're not going to work out if you don't let us have access to our trainers or our coaches or whatever. And it worked. Collective action works. But they're not part of the union, and maybe they should be part of the union from the moment they're eligible and enter the draft class, because there are revenue opportunities there. Whether it's showing up and working out at the combine, whether it's showing up and being, you know, the 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 organic prop at the draft that bear hugs the commissioner, there there's value there that that the players aren't participating in and it's high time that that they become part of that process it's only fair to them saying it's a job interview saying it's an honor saying it's a privilege only goes so far when the nfl is raking in more and more in cash from these offseason activities let's take a break when we return stephen jones addresses sort of the strange situation in dallas where a finding was made of no wrongdoing but 2.4 million was paid to rectify wrongdoing that they concluded never happened. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
2: Cowboys executive Stephen Jones on Monday. This comes via Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News, talking about the settlement of the cheerleader voyeurism allegation for $2.4 million, coupled with a finding by the team that when it investigated the situation, there was no wrongdoing. Said Stephen Jones, I think Jerry's addressed it, and I really don't have anything to add to what he said and what our statements have been. I feel like we have a solid culture. You can always be better. You strive to get better. Every day in every area, that would be my comment. Uh, Jerry addressed it kind of clumsily, frankly, on Friday night, saying that you know, they investigated it and you know, not substantiated, basically. But out of respect to the cheerleaders and because of the allegations they made, we we did the settlement. And He probably went beyond the non-disclosure agreement by saying what he said, and he should just waive the non-disclosure agreement so the cheerleaders can tell their stories. Because Peter, I can't reconcile and it's impossible to reconcile. A finding that Rich Dalrymple, former longtime PR executive, engaged in no wrongdoing when the allegation is he secretly videotaped cheerleaders who were changing clothes in their locker room. The team finds no wrongdoing, but pays out $2.4 million. That makes absolutely, positively no sense to me whatsoever. These organizations do not give away free money, especially under circumstances like that. Because if they found no wrongdoing, the cheerleaders were making inaccurate and potentially false allegations. Excuse me, Mike, I think that the
0: one part of this that you have pointed out, that um, it's almost like The NFL sometimes... And look, this could be an absolute outlier within the Cowboys organization. There may not be anything else other than this one thing. And I feel fairly sure that when asked by Jeff or Roger Goodell, Jerry Jones would have told them that this is one employee. This only happened whatever this time, six years ago, whenever it was. And so the and in the with the paucity of evidence that there's anything else other than this one thing the league just let them skate but and I, and the difference obviously in washington is that you've got over 40 uh, women who've brought a complaint or separate complaints uh against the ownership and management of this organization and that's all i can think of as to why the nfl uh has decided to bury this case
2: and peter i look at it very simply when the allegations are made if you look at the personal conduct policy there is a mandate in there that the team report allegations of this nature directly to the league and it's broader than someone being arrested it's any allegation of behavior that could be a violation of the personal conduct policy it must be promptly and immediately reported to the league And then the league will investigate. So the problem here is, number one, did the Cowboys ever report this? I've asked the league three different times. They have ignored me, not even a no comment. They have ignored me three times when I've asked that question. Did the Cowboys report this to the league when the allegations were made or at any time? And then as it relates to the investigation, we just had the commissioner three Wednesdays ago say as to the Washington commanders and the latest allegation involving Daniel Snyder. When Snyder wanted to do the investigation himself, Roger Goodell said team can't investigate itself. Well, why were the Cowboys allowed to investigate themselves and why isn't the league investigating it now? And, you know, Peter, the, the cynical answer and cynicism is justified with many of the things the NFL does. They got enough boiling pots right now. And they don't want one of the marquee franchises to be caught up in a scandal that may catch the attention of Congress. So they're saying nothing and they're doing nothing, no matter what the allegations are, no matter what the truth may be, no matter where the investigation may lead. The number one question I have, was Rich Dalrymple acting alone or was he doing what he allegedly did with the knowledge of others or at the behest of others? If you don't investigate it, you never get the answer to that question. So, uh... I, I it's it's just amazing to me that they've gotten away with this. Of all the teams, the Dallas Cowboys, the one of the most popular and and notorious teams in all of sports, this scandal is hiding in plain sight, and it's been there for almost two weeks now. And everyone's just kind of accepting these unsatisfactory explanations. I know I'm not. I wish more people would be shouting the way that we have that something more needs to be done. But uh, it's, so far, mission accomplished. The league's kept it brushed under the rug, and the, uh, the Cowboys uh, have managed to, to keep a lid on it as well. We'll see what happens at the combine when Jerry has to talk a little bit more. He'll hold court on his bus, and uh, who knows? Maybe he'll get pressed a little more aggressively. But um, it's just amazing to me that given everything that's gone on with Washington, this one thing, which is a pretty big thing, which is a pretty significant single incident, it hasn't sparked more discussion, debate, and pressure on the league and the team.
0: Look, you know, what the league could do and should do to support the Dallas Cowboys in this particular case, if they wanted to basically come out and say, look, you know, we are satisfied that, and, and in order to say we are satisfied, it would mean that, that uh, either Jeff Pash or, or 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 somebody in the league organization would have to actually, you know, do a little bit of investigation about this. But the way that this could come to a satisfactory conclusion is for the league to say, "Look, we've looked into it, and we believe that this was an outlier. It was a single incident involving one employee. If indeed that's what they would find." Uh, But the fact is, not saying anything makes everybody believe that it is a bigger story than it may be.
2: That's the one thing they don't recognize from a PR standpoint. The way you handle some of these stories creates the very clear impression for those of us who cover these stories that you're hiding something. I firmly believe they are hiding something massive as it relates to the Washington Commanders. And why they refuse, with very disingenuous explanations, to provide any of the information that that Beth Wilkinson discovered during a ten-month investigation. And on this Cowboys thing, I'm I, they're, they're hiding something there, and they don't want to deal with it. And uh, you know, maybe they will ultimately get away with it, and it will just go away. But we're going to do our part to keep it around. Let's go ahead and take a break when we return we're going to this is kind of a prices right game we're going to apply some percentages to what will happen with some of the high profile quarterbacks in 2022 we'll do that next here on pft live the
0: rams defense especially the back end is so fungible so changeable so different
2: Fungible. I got no problem with fungible. I like fungible vocabulary football morning in America. Uh, And, you know, the the problem with the NFL is there's a lot of fungibility and they they treat the players as immediately and replaceable pretty much at every position. They just do. Everything's fungible. We're fungible. We're all everything's fungible. I just have fun saying fungible. It's a
0: fun word. Fungible fungible fun you know the
2: first time the first time I ever saw that word I was probably like 12 or 13 I I thought it was like a bad word and I was rooting to learn that it was a bad word uh so that's why I've always had a (laughs) soft spot for fungible doesn't it feel like it should be a it's a word we shouldn't be saying we shouldn't be saying fungible uh all right let's (laughs) let's let's proceed before I get get us into any trouble specifically myself let's play the percentages here with a variety of these quarterbacks and let's start with Tom Brady Percentage chance he comes out of retirement, if he's even in retirement, Peter?
0: 42%. Um, I don't think it's a lock. I don't think it's a gimme. But I think in the right
2: circumstances, he would consider it. I, I think that ever, whether it's this year or next year, I'd say it's 75%. This year, I'll say it's it's 60% that he comes out. I I, I really think it's is a lot. I think that, that if it's not this year, it'll be next year. I think he's got one more year of football in him, at least somewhere. And I think if he sits out this year, he will be sufficiently tormented that the only way he can rectify those feelings would be to come back and play in 2023. I really do believe that. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be
0: fun irony if uh, if Daniel Jones bombs out this year, and Brian Dable says, "Come to Broadway, come and lead the team that the o- is the only team that you know basically ruined your life twice. Come and help us win a big one in 2023.
2: That would be that kind would of be funny. awesome. That would be awesome. And, <laughs> and look, two two years ago when he was a free agent." there was just kind of this, "Ah, well, what's he really have left? And the 49ers said, no, thanks. And I'm sure they regret that every single hour of every single day. But I I think we accept the fact he can still get it done now. And if he would take a year off, he'd be able to still get it done in 2023. The guy had 5,000 passing yards for crying out loud at age 44. All right. Percentage chance that Aaron Can I just say one last thing? Can I say one... Sure. Can I say one last thing?
0: I'm sorry, but... Can you imagine if he did go to San Francisco? First of all, I think he would still be on the team right now. And they would have won at least one in the last two years and have a decent chance to win another one. I don't want to torment anybody, but I've, I've been thinking about that a lot ever since he retired. But anyway, go ahead.
2: I think that's where he wants to go. I think if he plays this year, he's playing for the 49ers. Uh, and it, it gives Trey Lance another year to sit. They say see you later to Jimmy Garoppolo. They have a Super Bowl-ready team. They just need a quarterback who can make big throws in big spots, and we know that Brady can. All right, percentage chance that Aaron Rodgers stays in Green Bay.
0: I, You know, like I said earlier in the show, I was leaning no way until I saw what Ian Rapaport reported last night, that uh, the Packers and Rodgers' agent are working on a short-term contract. I would say now it's 60%.
2: Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll actually go 70%, um, and and it's rising for me every day that we don't have an answer from Aaron Rodgers. I I think at the end of the day, he is going to stay with the Packers. He's going to realize the grass is no greener anywhere else. He said to Pat McAfee a few weeks back, the grass is greener if you water it, and they're watering the hell out of it in Green Bay to get him to stick around. Percent chance the Cardinals and Kyler Murray work out an extension this offseason, Peter. I mean,
0: I don't think it's a great idea, but it sounds like they might be forced into doing that to reinforce their love to a disaffected employee. I'd say 65%. Yeah,
2: I, I think that I'm going to, I, I, I hate to copy you, but that seems right. That seems right. And it may be a short-term extension. Maybe that's the way to do it although it's always in the team's interest to lock the guy up for as many years as possible because most of the money is paid out early in the deal percentage chance Trey Lance is the week one starter for the San Francisco 49ers
0: 88.6 I just think that you know right now that the 49ers have cast their lot with Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan is going to work every minute of every off-season day that he devotes to football to making sure that uh, Trey Lance on September 11th, I think it is, uh, is ready to play a winning football game.
2: I'm going to say 70% because there's a part of me that believes that's where Brady's going to go if he unretires, if he's even retired. And I still think, and I said this a few weeks ago, and Schefter mentioned it last week, I don't think the door is completely shut on Jimmy Garoppolo. Jed York, the owner of the team, in justifying the decision to keep Garoppolo around last year, said, hey, if we ultimately invest $50 million over the next two years to allow Trey Lance to develop, so be it. I think they're prepared to keep Garoppolo if they decide that's the right thing to do, and I don't rule it out at this point. So whether it's Garoppolo or Brady, if they don't, I'll say that this, would be Mike, the alternative. I'll
0: say this. If they don't get a one- in an offer for him, I would not trade him. I would bring him back. Much to Garoppolo's chagrin, but I would not trade him. But I would play Trey Lance this year and have Garoppolo as the jillion dollar insurance policy. Mike, for all those people who say, oh, Garoppolo's not worth a one, he can't stay healthy, he's not good enough, I get it. You've got to line up in week one with a quarterback. If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, with the 20th pick in the draft, and you can get a quarterback who is 25% better than Mason Rudolph and 45% better than Dwayne Haskins, why in the world wouldn't you do it? That's why some team out there is going to give a first-round pick for Garoppolo.
2: I wouldn't want to give a first-round pick for a guy who is injury-prone and is entering the final year of his contract. I'd want to get him signed to a new contract if I'm going to make that investment. Or I'd want to do a deal that hinges the ultimate compensation on how many games he's available to play in 2022. Yeah, that's that's, that's exactly what do the Colts that. did. That, that's what the Colts did last year with Carson Wentz, and that brings us to the last one. Percentage chance that Wentz is traded by the Colts by March 18. you know it's
0: there's just too much out there right now it's it's too obvious whereas I'm not sure it'll happen by mid-march I should I I bet it's 50-50 by mid-march but by draft day I'd say it's 80% you know the Colts have had multiple opportunities to say that uh you know we don't necessarily think that Chris Mortensen is right We don't think that all these rumors out there are right. They have said zip. So what are we supposed to believe? Really, what are we supposed to believe? I, I believe that it's true that they probably will move on from Carson Wentz. I definitely wouldn't pay a one for him, but I would take the best offer I could. Somebody out there is going to pay you a two for Carson Wentz. Look, if Sam Darnold got a two, a four, and a six... How in the world can Carson Wentz not get a two?
2: I think it's 80%. He's traded by March 18. I think it's 0%. He's on the roster week one. And I think it all comes from the top of the organization. Jim Irsay, I believe, is exasperated with Carson Wentz, both due to his performance, his, his Uh, injury history and we see why he gets injured he tries to do too much he's not willing to pull the plug on a play and hit the deck and that gets him injured and then you're throwing the vaccination stuff that i think ursay is still upset about from last year and uh, i think ursay does not want him around let's take a break when we return the colts want something else around they have proposed a change to the overtime rules will enough other owners agree we'll discuss that when pft live continues right after this It's fitting, I suppose, that a team that didn't make it to the playoffs is proposing a change to the overtime rules that became controversial in the playoffs. However, the Colts' proposal would apply both to the regular season and the postseason, and it's a codification of the very simple idea that's been kicked around for weeks now, guaranteed possession for each team. So if the Chiefs had, had scored as they did against the Bills and they had gotten the one-point To make it a seven-point margin, the Bills would have had an opportunity to match or beat it if they had so desired. And if the Bills had scored a touchdown, they could have gone for two and the win, or the loss, and or they could have gone for one and it would have become sudden death after that. I don't think it happens in the regular season, Peter. I don't think they're going to extend the game at all in the regular season. I don't. But it makes sense for the postseason, and I think that's where the NFL is going. They don't want gimmicks; they just want football. And the easiest thing to do is give the team that kicked off a chance to match any score that the receiving team generates.
0: And I think, you know, two in the last three years, there have been two games that seem to cry out for both teams getting a possession. You know, the game where uh, three years ago, where Kansas City scored 24 points uh, in the fourth quarter and you could not stop Patrick Mahomes. And the Patriots could not touch Patrick Mahomes in the fourth quarter of that game. And I knew. I covered that game. The Patriots were almost as hot. It was 31-31, and they go out for the coin flip. And I just said, and I think everybody in the press box said, if whoever wins the coin flip is winning this game, period. And that's exactly what happened. And then probably the same thing this year, divisional round at Kansas City again. Karma justifies what happened. The Bills lose the coin flip. Kansas City takes the ball. Mahomes goes down the field, hits Kelsey, game over. And it's just for everybody who says, hey, play defense. Defense is part of the game too. I say, okay, so why don't you then choose to kick off to start overtime? (laughs) If your defense is so great, choose to kick off. And, and Mike, look, the fact is there have been 12 overtime games in the playoffs over the last decade since the rule was changed <clears throat> that a first possession touchdown wins it. 12 games. 10 of them have been won by the team that got the ball first in overtime. Seven of them have been won by a touchdown on the first possession. It's just the coin flip bears an inordinate uh, value in who wins uh, an overtime game particularly in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, and that's the point. And just because, for example, the Bengals ended up winning the AFC Championship after kicking off to start overtime, that doesn't make an unfair rule more fair. Just because someone managed to right. overcome the inherent unfairness, that, that's one of the arguments you always hear. Well, hell, the Bengals did it, the Rams did it against the Saints three years ago. Yeah, they overcame a system that puts too much emphasis on the outcome of a coin toss. And I don't know why... People refuse to acknowledge the significance of that coin toss. And, you know, Peter, it made me think of something. If they change this rule for the postseason, I may be inclined to kick. I may be inclined to take the wind if I'm playing outdoors. Yes. I may yes. be inclined to defer possession since gonna I know, know. I'm going to get one.
0: Yes. I would absolutely At- do that. Because then after the first possession, if you know what you're getting, if you hold the team on the first possession, you can play for a field goal to win the game.
2: All right, we got to take a break. When we return, we'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of PFT Live with a throwback uniform we've been waiting to see for years. We'll be right back. The cream sickles are returning in 2023 not this year this is the first year that teams can have that alternate helmet first time in a long time so it allows teams like the Buccaneers who need a completely different color helmet to do the Bucko Bruce throwback something about supply chain yada yada next year instead what a great look Peter and and I hope more teams will find a way to embrace some of these some of these old uniforms that there's just so much fun to see starting with the Patriots and the old white helmet with, with Pat Patriot snapping the ball.
0: Hey, look, the great thing about those Bucks uniforms, I said, can you imagine somebody wants to have the Tennessee Volunteers uniform in the NFL? I could never imagine why a team would want to be orange and white. But over time, people fell in love with the creamsicle.
2: Well, not at the time, though, because the team was so bad. And that's really what it comes down to. Whatever the uniform looks like, if the team wins, it all of a sudden looks a lot better. Sims has hated the Bengals uniform for years. But this year, with Cincinnati in the Super Bowl, all of a sudden, Peter, he's warming up to the Bengals uniform. (laughs) All right, we'll uh, see you later today for PFTPM. Peter, safe travels to the Combine. See everybody this afternoon.